0: Hello, everyone. My name is Christian. Welcome back to TechPoint. Today, our guest is Eric, the partner at FLG Partners. Hello.
1: Hi, Christian. How are you?
0: Fantastic. Very nice to meet you. And Likewise. And
1: thank, me, thank you for having me on your podcast.
0: <laughs> Great to have you. Please tell us what uh, what your company does. What is FLG Partners?
1: So, FLG Partners is a 30 person consulting firm. All 30 of us have. Are all senior CFOs? and We all have public and private com- public public company CFO experience. We work with venture-backed uh, and private equity-backed companies on the private side and a whole range of public companies. You know, I and we work as interim CFOs, so we don't go in as consultants. We actually sit in the seat, and we are the CFO for right. all intents and purposes. And it's a really great platform for me. And it's allowed me to work with over 40 SaaS companies in the last maybe 15 years.
0: Amazing, and you said you only
1: work with public companies? Yes. I work with, yeah, public SaaS companies and private equity backed SaaS companies. I run the SaaS franchise for my firm. So the firm does SaaS, technology, appliance, uh, hardware, and then life sciences, biotech, uh, MedTech, and uh, but I run the SaaS practice.
0: Amazing! So you're the perfect guest for the for our podcast. <laughs> Thank you. SaaS, what do you say uh, is the biggest mistake that SAS companies make regarding their finances?
1: This is, uh, I think, you know, the biggest problem is that there's no common language in the business, and I'll give you some stories. You know, I and I've witnessed this firsthand through, uh, for example, sitting in a board meeting where yeah. An argument breaks out over how to calculate L to B to CAC. You know, that was what and that really happened. And so obviously it's not a good use of time for a board meeting if the investors and the management team are arguing. Or I saw where two investors were arguing about it. You know, that's that's not good board governance. But also uh, you know another example. There was an argument over what what should gross margin be for a SaaS company, and this mm-hmm. really happened. And then the CFO ultimately got fired, and I stepped in. Uh, you know, I stepped in and and took care of that. But the yeah, uh, you know, I'll give you another example from an internal point of view. You know, the I was at a I observed the board meeting where the CFO and the chief revenue officer both came in, and they had different numbers for L S B to CAC. Well, the focus later gets fired, but you can't have the the lack of a common language and having each individual determine what their view of SaaS is, that's the biggest challenge.
0: Thank you for sharing. And usually, how many employees are at companies that you help on average, let's say, 500?
1: It'll be about, um, yeah, 500 was probably the median number.
0: I understand. I understand. That's yeah. that's awesome. And how many companies do you help at a time?
1: Uh, you know, I try, only try to work with one or two clients at a time. And so that's one or two clients where I am the CFO. Uh, I'm sitting in the seat. I report, you know, I do, do all of the functions of the CFO. I have all the direct reports and I'm responsible to the, the management team and the board. And then I also do board advisory or CFO advisory. Um, and you typically on matters of SaaS or public company reporting.
0: That's great. And what do you actually mm-hmm. do as the interim CFO? Do you uh, also prepare the next CFO for the company? And do you just step in like a couple of months or how does it work? Well, that's,
1: a, that's such a great question because yeah, my job is or our job at FLG is to make the make the position very attractive so we can get the best possible CFO. And there are a lot of companies where the CFO culture is not expected for of yes. reasons, right? Yes. And it's any, you know, a good CFO look at that and, and not want to be involved in it. And so if I come in and I can stabilize the situation, make progress, and set the next person up for success, then we can get a great CFO.
0: That's great. That's a great mindset. I love it. And how many partners are there at uh, at VLG Partners, or how many CFOs? We have, uh,
1: we have about thirty right now. Thirty active partners doing work, and we are only CFOs. We don't have anybody. We don't have a, an accounting team or, you know, an FP&A team or tax team. It, it's so it's a, a very it's focused just on chief financial officers.
0: Okay, and who founded the company?
1: oh it's uh this is a great story it's founded um almost 20 years ago okay. in uh, 2004 where a uh, couple of cFOs had been moving through companies that were uh, troubled and then they said well let's stop betting our careers on this let's just
0: start a firm
1: and then we and then it's grown from there from those four people it's it's grown from there well
0: wow, great story. and when did you join exactly
1: I joined about five years ago.
0: Okay, and I'd love to hear the background of your career and how you started it, if you can share with us.
1: Absolutely, and I won't go too far back, but I... I went to the Naval Academy, the United States Naval Academy, and I served in submarines for uh, uh, seven years after I graduated. And then I I wanted to leave. I wanted to get into business, and so I went in. So I went to business school, um, okay. and graduated, and I wanted to do something with finance. And I, I did invest in banking. Um, my bank went bankrupt during the com <laughs> days. So I was like, oh, I didn't know. I didn't realize civilians could be unemployed. That was my <laughs> i didn't understand that and so i started i i got a cfo job then i got a um i ran fpna for a fortune 500 company and then i started into sas businesses
0: when exactly did you get into SaaS? yeah so i left the
1: fortune 500 company and i went to uh, in 2007 and I went to a streaming company and this was uh, it wasn't a pure stats but we hosted and streamed video so it was early. we were the backbone for some early emerging social media networks at the time unfortunately not meta but we were uh, we were doing that and then uh, then I got into a it was a technical services it was a a company called Ziprility, tech-enabled services company, we were pivoting the SaaS, and, and we didn't get all the way there. And this was in 2014, so SAS was, SaaS was known, right? It, it was becoming known. And when I left that company, I was going through Silicon Valley, pitching myself as a SaaS CFO. In 2014, and I didn't know the basics, right? And people would say, well, "What's the magic number?" Uh, you know, I don't know. It's what's l, yeah. it's l to, v to CAC. You know, what's yes. a cohort? I just didn't know these things, and so I, t- yeah, I taught, told myself that I had to get, I had to get into a company and just start, you know, get my hands on the data, start working with it, start building cohorts, and start looking at retention rate, gross, and that. like just. Working with the data, so I did I went to a firm and we started doing consulting, or that did this type of consulting. And I took any SaaS company that, that came through the pipeline, and then fast for forward eight years, nine years, I've worked with uh, about forty SaaS companies. But it was, and not to send it too long, but it was this experience that led to my book, because I would go in and I I would. Come across some issue, right? And like the issues I mentioned, and then I would study it and then I would write a blog post about it. You know, how to calculate gross margin, how to calculate LTB to CAC and all of its perturbations, right? You know, how to present you know, annual recurring revenue, how to present contract annual recurring revenue. And so I kept writing these blog posts. Okay. Yeah. And the blog post ultimately led to the book.
0: Amazing, amazing. And for uh, anybody that doesn't know, what is the name of the book and uh, why should people read it?
1: Well, thank you. It's called Hacking SaaS and it's a nod to Growth Hacking, right, Growth Hacking SaaS, Insider's Guide to Managing Software Business Success. And it is the sum of all of my, well, finance career, certainly, but it's the sum of my experience working with SaaS companies. It provides a common language, right? As I've heard it, Throughout my career, and a reference and resource for a wide range of readers. Right, so it's and SAS professionals can read it and calibrate their knowledge. You know, people who junior people, right, can read it and advance three years of knowledge in their SAS career. So the SAS SAS knowledge used to be something that had to be learned on the job, like an apprenticeship, right and and instead, like uh, my book, someone can sit down, study it, walk in every day, and apply the the you know the learnings and really next step up. It's, it's I, there's, there, up until my book come out, there's not been an academic resource that people can use to save time working as an apprentice.
0: What do you say is the biggest learning that people can get from the book? Yes, this is
1: the, you know, it's the, and the common, like to refer to as the common language, right? And and this is, my book describes how SAS is discussed, how it's managed, right? And so I really want, you know, people to be able to read the book, read, you know, read the section and go into work the next day and say, okay, I learned about this. I learned about, you know what the financial profile should be for my business and I'm gonna go in I'm gonna check what's mine and how do I benchmark it and so it's and when I say read I really mean study right this isn't a it's not a book where you you read at night to fall asleep or maybe you would fall asleep let's say the way you should work is like you you know you sit down and and you study it and I introduce I introduced concepts. So I introduced the metrics, of course, and there are a lot of places to find metrics and webinars, but I introduced the metric and then I show the math behind it. Like why is, why do people say that l to CAC best class is three, right? Yeah. I mean, what does that mean? Right? I can you can read it in a blog and, and you'll get, it. but I, provide the depth and I provide the the really the understanding behind it. So it's it's a deep dive on you know on SAS metrics. Right. And then I also provide a framework for how to think about this business models because the business models you know SaaS is a business model and the business model varies depending upon you know the 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 type of customer one serves, or the type of industry one serves, and then the metrics vary um, by each of those categories as well.
0: Of course, we'll also link uh, the book in the description. But uh, no, you thank know? you. <laughs> Who do you think it's for? Who should read it? Mostly accountants or people looking no. to CFOs? Or
1: I'm so glad you mentioned that. It's a lot of stats. It's not based on accounting. Right when we say annual recurring revenue, that's not defined by accounting thinking. Unit economics are not um, defined by, you know, GAP, which is the the rules for accountants. The um, the financial profile they they are finance concepts, but a lot of the book. So it it, it is someone who's in finance and SaaS or a SaaS CFO or finance person will be able to pick it up and go through them. The, you know, the upfront finance section pretty quickly, then you'll get into, you know, the, the true meat of the book, which is, you know, the, the, it's a framework for thinking about SaaS business models. So just finance people will probably most readily take to it, but it's for a wide range of people involved in SaaS. So sales, customer success, and, you know, Let's of product and, and technology. Uh, and I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, I was in New York this past week. I live in San Francisco. I was in New York last week for um, a presentation and book signing um, for a, a former client. And during the book signing, most of the people that came up to me were in customer success. And, you know, and, and their questions were, like, how do I You know, how do I become a customer success manager? Like, how do I do it? What metrics should I use? And I talk a lot about the go-to-market strategy in the book, and then I have an enterprise SaaS uh, section. And so it led to a lot of great, and it was interesting, the the biggest interest in SaaS came from the CS team. Well, uh,
0: yeah, really unexpected, but uh, I'm sold. So like yeah. Well, it, so it's
1: a. I guess my point is a wide range of readers, right? Um, and you know, I'll go back to, you know, I'll give you a couple other examples, but you know, investors who argue over a SAS metric in a board meeting, they should read it, right? Because that's not a good use of time. A CFO who comes from outside the industry and and doesn't understand gross margin, what the profile should look like, you know, it's it's that person, you know, it's the CRO who has numbers that don't match that of the CFOs. Right. And, and they both need to read it and be in sync. Um, and I'll, let me give you two real world examples. Um, additional real world examples, but, um, this past year I advised a, um, $30 million revenue enterprise SaaS business. Right. And, uh, on everything was on the up and up until this year. And like, every other SaaS company out there saw a decline in revenue. Well, if you sell up front, then cash always, as you grow cash increases, they never had to worry about that. They did not forecast cash. And so when cash went down, they were asked to forecast the cash and the VP of fp a a very senior person did not know how to forecast deferred revenue. Now, if this sounds really geeky and too depth, I get it, but that is, that is a major hole. Right, and when I heard it, when the CFO called me and I was advising that person, when she called me, she said, "Oh, do you know how to do? Def- do you know how to forecast deferred revenue?" My heart sank because I thought, "Well, if they don't know that, then they're not going to be able to get it." Yeah, and then so the VP of FBA left, the CFO left, so even senior people. And I'll give you one more example. I worked for a company that it was a transaction-based company. And the investor said, "You need to become SaaS at all costs." And when I met with them, they they said, "Well, we're trying to become a SaaS business." And I said, "Well, what have you done?" And they said, "Well, we don't really know what to do." So we start reading a bunch of blog posts and stuff. And then we, you know, we've done as much as we can. And and these are, you know, I'm 56. These are people in their 40s, late 40s. They've founded multiple companies. And they didn't know what SAS was, so just another example yeah. of of that.
0: But for one mistake like that, like you mentioned in the second example, the CFO gets fired if he doesn't know how to calculate a specific metric. Or I guess it, that's his responsibility. It,
1: it, it really is, and and that's the, you know, the, and I wrote it for people like that too. If if you're if you're SAS, if you're not, if you're SAS knowledge, not your knowledge has to be. 100% excellent. Right. And because there is no common language in the business, when the CFO goes in and, and I've had this, I've gone in and I said, okay, our L T V to CAC is this, our car is that. And board members, they don't understand the common language and they'll push back and say, Oh no, how, you know, it, AR is just this. And I not only have to understand how to calculate, but I have to understand how to communicate it too. And, and so the book, I mean, working, you know, building, building the book, right. I, I've, I have the credibility where I can sit back and say, no, here it's, that's, that's respectfully incorrect, but here's why I, you know, this way midway is correct. And then here's the background. And then here are the benchmarks here, are what other companies are doing right? And, and so I can speak with authority and, and the book gives people that, right? Gives them the authority to not only say, oh, well, you know, this metric should be X, but here's why, here are the five reasons why, and here are the 20 other companies that are doing it that way.
0: Yeah, yeah, I totally understand. What would be your best piece of advice for a 20-year-old, 30-year-old uh, starting to get into finance or looking to become a CFO? Um, that's
1: a... It's a great question, and and let me answer maybe with a a general statement, but, you know, a a lot of people, uh, a lot of people when they enter the workforce, and and this really, I think, started with my generation, Generation X, there was a sense, especially when technology became such a large part of the economy, but there's always been this sort of expectation or thinking that by jumping around to different companies, I, I can get ahead. Right. Uh, I have, have you know, a year here, so I'm going to jump here. I'd be here. Yep. This company's on the rise. And so it's partly fear of missing out, which I understand because they're, you know, in boom yep. times, everyone's going public. Right. So I'm jumping to the hottest thing. And it's partly because, um, you know, people think that that's how to get ahead. So like in as your career grows, people think by jumping around, they can accelerate their career. And it's, it's I would. And I've done that. You know, I've had periods of doing that too, right? Like jumping into other companies. It, it, it's a natural human response. But my advice is to, as, as soon as you find something you're passionate about and whether it's SaaS or, or whatever it is, but just get into one company and just keep hammering at your craft day in and day out, you know, um, Bunch of little things done good equals greatness, right? And just keep doing that until, and if you do that over a 20 year career, I can all but guarantee that you'll be happier, more passionate, you know, more excited about your job than someone who took an alternative realm.
0: Amazing. I really wanted to ask you about it uh, being, let's say, three months in a the company, then switching and uh, so on and so forth. I, 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 uh... The same. I thought that uh, you get more learning experience by doing that, but it's interesting to to hear what you have to say. What you say is the uh, the minimum uh, months or years that somebody has to stay in a, in a company to to get their full learning experience.
1: Yeah, um, that well, that is also a great question because you know a lot of it, it depends upon the environment, right? And if you go into it, a lot of times, um, you know. At, employees people will go in the company and it's not the right fit from the beginning. So the thumb rules you say at least you should say at least a year. If you less than a year, then you don't have to put it on your resume. If you more than a year you, you do have to put it on your resume, right? And um, well I guess that's how it used to be. But that was the thinking. But it's it's lost about the year, but you know everyone should seek to find, you know, passion good leadership, you know, good mentorship, a good culture. And I know everyone says that like find a good, it's really hard to find um, in tech because everyone's moving around and when there's high attrition. And so I would say, you know, seek out companies that have a good culture where you can grow your career. And then my adjacent point to that would be make sure you understand the business right? The, the company, you know, not, you know, what, what it does, what product it sells, but you know, how's it doing, you know, it, it is stock price been dropping for eight quarters, you know, if they lost money for three years and you know, they're, they cash in the bank. And, uh, let me finish that thought with a, a story, but I had a client that was, I was their first CFO and it was really challenging. They, they raised all the money they could and they were living on, they, Sell these big contracts and they'd live off that money. And I was there, and the CFO search took, I think it was nine months. And other CFOs would come in, they'd ask questions, and they knew immediately to leave. And there was a CFO who is a good friend. I, you know, he's a great operator, a great CFO, public and private company, you know, person. He, he, was in Seattle, wanted to move to, to the Bay Area. So he, he came in, he found this company, everybody did great things about the company. And, and so he, he didn't, uh, he didn't spend a lot of time with me. He was so involved by the idea. He was so that, wow, this is the greatest opportunity ever. And he asked me why I didn't take it. And the truth was, well, I'm interim CFO. This is, that's my profession. And He didn't ask a single question about the financials, the financial state of the company, cash. And the day after he started, he, he, we, we met in the, in a conference room down in Redwood city and he sat down. He goes, okay, Eric, cash is king. How much cash is in the, you know, how much cash do we have? I said, well, uh, well, Krishna, I said, there's, we don't have enough money to make payroll next week. I said, We're working on this contract and 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 he said, Hang on, wait, there's no cash in the business? And and I said, No, I mean, no, that's just how the company sort of operates this way and he got really mad at me and Well how can that be? Why didn't you tell me there was no cash in the bank? And I said, Well, you know, Chris, uh, it's 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 not my job that you know to tell you not to come to this company uh, you know i i'm the sitting cfo and if you had asked me is there cash i would have said no there's no cash right now and and it's a problem but so it was fascinating it's a phenomenal guy phenomenal operator comes into the business becomes enthralled. so and and then finds himself in a really bad spot and i I think that this happens and I've seen this happen maybe a dozen CFOs over the last just five years. So my other bit of of advice for a young person is make sure you're getting into a company that's going to be there, right? And we could have a whole other podcast about that. But that's my other piece of advice.
0: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'd love to know what has been your biggest challenge throughout your career. You know,
1: again, I think the... Biggest challenge is, I think in, well, in general, it's finding companies with good leadership, right? And in in my career where finding a a healthy environment where, you know, know, my, and and I've had a lot of great bosses, but finding a healthy, in the Fortune 500 company, it was, is a different story. But once I entered the tech, it was finding like a really great, business culture. And a lot of times, I think my challenge was going into companies that weren't doing well. Where I was in like, oh, I get to be a public company CFO. Like, I want it, and then I don't want it, right? And now that particular day, it it turned out okay, but I think that's the challenge, right? And then um, moving around, like, to find the next big job, right? Where, you know, the next big thing, oh, I'm going to go into health staff. You know, I'm going to go into prop tech. I'm going into the you know, this big and and once I got into the consulting or interim CFO business, all of that drama kind of faded away because you know, I, I don't have to get involved yeah. in that.
0: I understand. But what do you think makes a good culture and a good uh, leadership? How do you define those? How how yeah. can people find those?
1: Yeah, I, I have a I have a set of principles that when I go into a client and I've you know built this over time, but um number 1 always assume best intent so if you you know if you go in a company and something's messed up appears messed up to you it might not be messed up it it might be messed up but the person who put that thing in place right at that time had a reason for doing so and so if you go in and and uh so i think that's one you know and you want to, you want a boss who who understands that like if you come in for another company and you have a set of tools and you have a process you do you want to make sure your boss doesn't come back and say you know you know um lose faith in you immediately because you have you're not doing something the way they themselves do it I just had a conversation this week about that 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 thing number two psychological safety and, and that refers to if you're familiar with, Amy Edmondson is a Harvard Business School professor who uh, who wrote a book about this. And and it's no key because if you go into a company and you're afraid to make mistakes, then you're always going to tell everybody what they want to hear. You know, in sales, I'm definitely going to hit this forecast until you can, right? Or see if I was to the board, oh, we're definitely going to, going to grow 40% this year, year until we don't, right? It, it's this… It's a culture where it's so difficult to operate, where every mistake is criticized um, or brings some kind of emotional response from your boss, or in this case, you know, you wind up terminated because of it. That's psychological safety, or that's not psychological safety, safety, psychological safety. And you want to be in a business that's open and transparent, right? And if, if, when you're interviewing with other people and they say, well, you know, I, I am doing this, but I don't talk about it a lot because people don't value this or yeah, this is how I do the TL, but I don't talk, like to talk about it because people get mad if there's a misstatement and they, you know, and I see this a lot too. I, I have this invoice and I, I charge it this GL and boy, like everyone gets mad when I do it that way, but I don't know how else to do it. Right. So you should look for, you know, for these, you know, you know, look for these things. And then also, especially now in the area of remote work, you want to see if people are staying present, right? Are, you know, on Zoom calls, are are people, you know, typing away and you can hear them in the background? Are they watching something? You know, are, are they on screen? <laughs> right? I mean, it's it's the basic stuff. So staying present in the job. And then I think in a remote environment, it's especially difficult. Like I'm a of remote work, but it's especially difficult. Then I would finally, the final thing is work-life balance. And I know everyone talks about this and in Silicon Valley, we've tried to address it with unlimited PTO. You can take as much PTO as you want and people take less PTO, paid time off, less vacation, right? And so when you go in, you should ask people like, Hey, when's the last time you took holiday? And people say, oh, no, I never take it. Things are so busy here. It's chaos. You know, uh, maybe someday, and, you know, maybe someday, you don't want to work there, right? And as a leader, I, I force my people to take take time off, and I force them to go away without their computer. Um, and there are other reasons for that, too, but, but you want that's, like, a final thing I would say. And I know everyone says work-life balance, it's really Popular and trendy thing, but it's not being done right now. And so make sure you're going to a company uh, that believes in it.
0: That was super valuable. I really appreciate it, especially for a youngster like it's, me. Uh, it's amazing. I'm, I'm really grateful to you. I was of looking course. to get uh, an answer to our last question, let's say. What's your favorite SaaS product that you use? Well,
1: I'd like to think of it less as an individual. I, I work mainly in enterprise SaaS. So I think of it less as an individual SaaS product because I, I personally don't like the point solution SaaS products. So okay. uh, maybe a, a product that that, um, that calculates commissions, right? A product that, you know, that creates thousand incentive plans using AI, like it, there's not a lot of value in those, I mean, value in those individual apps, but when built into a tech stack, so if I'm using, You know, SaaS optics for AI measurement of my pipeline and my customer cohorts, and then Salesforce or HubSpot or Zoho or that. Uh, If I'm using GainSight for my, you know, customer success, if I'm using Exactly to calculate my commissions and Ironclad to manage my, to manage my, Ironclad to manage my, um, you know, my contracts. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, accounting, you know, NetSuite, Oracle, SAP. Um, but the point of, and then the, so all, it's the tech stack, and then it's to the degree to which it's integrated, both in terms of like technical integration, but also in my CRM, does the RevOps, is, is, does RevOps put in the right number for AR, right? Because mm-hmm. someone has to manually entry all this stuff. And so it's the, to me it's a tech stack and then it's as a tech stack and then it's uh, the you know, the degree of integration, both manually and you know, manual entry and technical integration.
0: Thank you for sharing. Those mm-hmm. are my main questions. If you have anything else to share, this would be the moment.
1: Well, I really appreciate what you're doing and having me on the show. I think I think our interests a really aligned. Well, we both share a passion for SaaS, and that's obvious. And I also think that we both are trying to present a common language. We're trying to build a common language for the industry. And I, I think everyone listening to this uh, know that there are a lot of people out there trying to turn an apprenticeship type job in a SAS into an academic study that can, where people can advance their careers, as has been done with every profession since the beginning of time. Yeah,
0: Yeah. thank you so much for joining. I'm really grateful. Thank you for your advice, you did great. And yeah, I'm I'm super grateful, thank you. (laughs) Fantastic.